Welcome to another episode of It's a Long Beach Thing, where we bring on guests and we talk about this beautiful city we call Long Beach. And now, here's your host, motivational coach, Paul Fortune. Thank you for tuning into It's a Long Beach Thing. Be sure to subscribe anywhere you're listening, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Podbean, we're on a lot of them, so subscribe, and check us out on Facebook on It's a Long Beach Thing Facebook group, so you can get caught up on oncoming content. We have a great show for you today. We have Brad Lyon, business coach. Brad, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks, Paul. No problem. No problem. So let's let's dive right in, shall we? Okay. What is your affiliation with this great city of Long Beach? Oh well, I love Long Beach. I it's I even though I'm really kind of lived like Long Beach adjacent, I guess is what they'd say. Uh, I I spent a lot of time in Long Beach. It's the largest, even it's the largest city that I know that I can do business in, and there are a lot of businesses in Long Beach. And I've been very active in in networking and I'm involved in chamber of commerce in that area. So, I mean, this is what I, I really like is there's just a lot about Long Beach that's, that works well for being a, a business coach. I totally agree with that. Well, let's go back a ways here because okay. you're not from Southern California at all. No. You're actually from the Midwest. So talk to, talk to us about your journey getting here to Southern California. Oh, well, that's, it's quite a long journey. I think I could probably almost take a whole 45 minutes. <laughs> I, I was born and raised in, in Michigan, went, lived there until I was graduated from high school, and I went to college in Kentucky, studied, actually I was studying for the ministry when I was in college, went to a small uh, private Christian college south of Lexington, Kentucky, but I didn't really have the, the calling to, to go in the ministry. I knew I wanted to do something a little different. I had an opportunity to work with a company. Uh, that sold candy in amusement parks. That kind of, kind of sounds kind of weird, but the guy who owned the company was a, was an alumni from the college I went to, and, and he liked to hire people from the college. So gave me an opportunity when I first got out of college. Actually, I worked there a summer before I graduated, but gave me a great opportunity to, to work, um, work with all types of people in the, in the amusement park, which I never really thought much about, but if you're ever going to be in retail, Working in the amusement parks probably the best place you can be because customers are always happy. They're there to have a good time. You know, they're not like you don't really have the return customers or any returns or anything. It's people, you know, it's a, it's a great experience for them. And also, since I worked in selling saltwater taffy and fudge and hard candy, you know, everybody was just happy to be there. So it was probably one of the, the easiest jobs in retail that you could have because, like I said, people were there for a day and having a good time. So that worked out real well. Worked in that for a while. They, they, I traveled all over with them. I worked with amusement parks with them in, in um, Cincinnati, Ohio, Sandusky, Ohio, Rich, Richmond, Virginia. And then in the winter time, they'd have me put it, put me in a mall with. We had a, like a kiosk store, and I was in Chattanooga, Tennessee for one winter, and and different places in Ohio. So it was quite a great adventure. But like all things, um, 
all good things came to an end when the amusement parks decided instead of outsourcing their candy business, they decided they would do it themselves. And they no longer needed the services of, of my candy company to be there. So, And how did that uh, translate to you coming to Southern California? Well, that, there we go a little bit. It's a little farther along with that. I worked with, um, after I left the candy company, I worked with Marriott Corporation in the Washington, D.C. area. They were hiring people to be um, managers in their Roy Rogers fast food restaurants. So I thought, well, I think I can do that. I had plenty of management experience. And and, and I really it was really great because I got to be in the, the area right around the Marriott headquarters, which was what they would say was the elite of all of them because the stores were all run as model stores. So it was a, a great opportunity to really show some skills and some, some um, you know, build the business up really well in that area. And I was with them for about four years until I got to the point where I kind of got, I, fortunately I was single. So I was on night shifts. I didn't, you know, I was off on Wednesdays and Thursdays. It wasn't really conducive to, to dating either because, you know, what do you do on Wednesdays and Thursday nights? The only nights off, yeah, Fridays and Saturdays. I worked every, you know, I'd go to work at three o'clock in the afternoon and get done at one o'clock in the morning. So wasn't the most conducive for, you know, dating type stuff. But I, I was pretty well dedicated to the job. I was basically married to my job anyway. After I'd done that for a while, I decided, you know, I kind of like to get into something that's a little not, I, I don't, don't come home smelling like a, 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 a deep fryer. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I saw an opportunity with this company called The Sharper Image. They're a retail store. They actually started out mail order. They were just starting, this was back in 1985, they were just starting to open up retail stores. And they were opening them in Washington, D.C. So it's going to be their first retail store east of the Mississippi. So I thought, well, that sounds like a great opportunity. I applied. And they hired me in as a, a sales associate. I thought, well, I've never been a sales associate in retail. But, you know, I thought, well, this could be a good company to work for. Maybe I can move up with them. And sure enough, I was there for actually through the training period. And on the, on the first day that we opened the store up, they promoted me to senior sales associate. I thought, okay, <laughs> that sounds like a that sounds like a good thing. They said you'll be you know making sure everybody else gets their sales in and all. I said okay, I, I can do that. I worked with them for I was in Washington D.C. for about a year and a half. Actually, our our location in Washington D.C. was interesting. It was in the National Press Building at 14th and F Street, so I was uh, two blocks away from the White House. So we had a lot of dignitaries come our way there were there were um they would there would be times this was when reagan was a the president there'd be times when reagan would be speaking at the national press building and you could tell because the whole all the secret service people were all over the place and you know it's just kind of a, a neat place to be in the middle of everything right there in washington dc well i got a call and they wanted me to to help they were having a new store opening up in san antonio texas they wanted me to go to san antonio so i said well you know being a single guy, it was easy to do. So I got everything together and went to San Antonio, ran the store in San Antonio. I was there for a while before they asked me to go to Dallas, loaded up the car, you know, single guy. They didn't have to give me much warning. It was in Dallas. I was in Texas for a total of about 13 months. And the day before Thanksgiving in 1987, I got a phone call from my my district manager, who said, 
we've got an opportunity for you to run the, the Sharper Image store in Redondo Beach, California. My first question was, is where's Redondo Beach, California? Because I, I had been one time, I'd had a trip, taken a trip out to San Diego, but I didn't really know anything about much about LA. So he said, but the, here's the thing. It was the day before Thanksgiving. He said, here's the thing, as you know, which is our busy time. So you're going to have to start working on Monday. This was Wednesday. And um, you're not going to get a day off until after Christmas. So because managers don't get days off in December in, in retail, especially in the type of retail that we were in, you know, the high-end retail, there wasn't any way to get it off. So I thought, okay. So my phone call was about 10 o'clock. I started looking around, what do, what do I need for the next month? Loaded up my car, went over to the rental office for the apartment and paid for December's rent. Because I knew, and I said, you know, I need to make sure that I had my apartment, I wasn't going to move everything that fast. Loaded up my car, and by that evening, I was already in Midland, Texas. I got, I made it to California on Friday. I spent the whole day Thursday, Thanksgiving Day, driving from Midland, Texas to Blythe, California. Actually, it was supposed to be. I had tickets for the Dallas Cowboys Thanksgiving Day game that day. I had to give them up. Oh, that's was, a bummer. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I think they were playing the Vikings that, that year. Uh, but I had, I had to go get a couple things to take care of. But you know, it was kind of exciting and kind of scary at the same time. Came to California. I realized when I first came to California that apartments didn't rent for $300 a month like they did in Texas. Nope. This was back, even back in 87, they didn't do that. Um, it was going to be a little bit more expensive. Fortunately, I was getting a, a pay raise by coming out here and, and stuff like that. So I said, it wasn't so bad, but, but well, let's see how it's going to work. But I came out, started out, um, I found a place to live in, in actually in South Torrance when I first came here. An apartment building uh, wasn't too far from work, so that worked worked out well. And I was with with the Sharper Image for a couple more years. Actually, while I was with the Sharper Image, I met my wife, um, and we got married. Actually, I met her in the in April of 1988, and we got married in September of 1988. So, and we're still married, so it it worked. <laughs> wow, that was a quick uh, that was a quick uh, engagement, I guess. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And most and and no, she wasn't pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's the usual response. People think, oh, you had to get married. No, we didn't have to get married, but we decided to anyway. And, and like I said, it's still it's still working. So that's the good part. That's a real good part. So now I now go along with that. I got to the point where my my wife was working for, for Nikon, the camera company, and she was working regular nine to five hours, but I was working still retail hours. And since I was at the mall, they were I was working nights again, <laughs> not as late as I was in the fast food, but it wasn't really working out real well. That's a week. And, and Saturdays were, of course, our busiest days. And she was off on Saturdays and Sundays, and I had to work every Saturday. So it got to thinking, well, maybe there's got to be a better way as a married person. I can find something I can do that's going to work more Monday through Friday. And my wife's sister, her husband, owned a pit printing franchise in downtown Los Angeles. And he had sold one of his business, one of his pit franchises off a couple of years before. And then that person defaulted on it. And he was going to take it back. But he didn't. He wanted to have somebody who could go in as a partner with him and, and run the store. 
And he kind of knew I was looking for something that was more like a Monday through Friday because the pit business was more of a Monday through Friday business because it was business brand. So he brought me to, uh, brought me in and I, I bought into half of the business. I became the business owner and, and was working in downtown Los Angeles from 1989 till 2005. So we in the printing business. Let, let me let me pause there for a second sure. because there's sure. a lot, lot to unpack there. The right. first thing that came to my head when you were going through your journey here to Southern California is a work-life balance. It seemed like you didn't have a work-life balance. You told me you went to Redondo Beach and you you had to be there Monday. You got that call on Wednesday and you were not going to have a day off for over a month. That's right. And which, I mean, is, is dedication which is a great thing, dedication. But as I look at that, you know, burnout can happen quite quite a bit in that situation. And and it's no fault to you. I know that you want to do the best you can for the company. And I want to know you will probably want to move up and yeah. do everything you can. But I, I would imagine there was, there was, you know, there was time, especially on a Saturday and a Sunday when, you know, you had friends or your wife or any, everybody is out and about having fun and and you're busting your butt on a Saturday night and, you know, you're not having the joy. So can you talk about that a little bit on, on what you've learned about that and going forward with the printing business that you changed so that you had a little bit work-life balance? Because we only have one life to live, right? So absolutely well live the way we want to live it. Absolutely. You know, I, I wasn't even thinking that about that at that time, I was thinking about getting ahead and, and making a living for myself. I when I was young, I was still in my um, early thirties when I was working with um, the um, sharper image that was moving me around. And, and actually the candy company moved me around. Um, in fact, I remember people would, I, I couldn't pick up the newspaper on Friday and look at the calendar section because I'd see all these things going on, you know, and I'd say, I can't do any of that because I've got to work every, basically I worked every Saturday. And I probably would have got burnt out if I'd have had any, if I'd have been, if I'd have been married at the time and had the pressure of, you know, what, what my wife wanted to do. But being single, I, I felt like, well, I can do anything I want to do and, and make the, you know, I can work nights if I want to work nights and nobody's going to say anything about that. So I probably didn't feel the pressure just because I was, I was single. I wasn't in any relationships really that much. I very, didn't have any real strong relationships because it's difficult to do when you're working the, those kind of hours. So it wasn't really, it, you're, you're exactly right. It wasn't work-life balance. It was just work. That's all I did. I was I was married to my job. I did that. When I worked in the amusement parks, generally I didn't take days off between Memorial Day and Labor Day because those were the busy days. Fortunately, with those places, there was a what they call a preseason and a postseason where the amusement park was open only for weekends in like um, March and uh, late March to April and, and before Memorial Day. And then for a couple about eight weekends after um, Labor Day, so I would only be working. I'd, I'd go in on Friday and get things ready, but I'd work Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and have Monday through Thursday off. So that was a little bit better. But um, you're right; it, it it's not work life balance. I didn't have work life balance, but fortunately, I I guess I had the work ethic that I I didn't really care. I just wanted to work, and I I like to keep them busy, and um, I liked you know feeling like I was improving on myself at the time that's and that that's probably the one value that that i that i 
brought through my whole life is that I've, I'm really big into continuous improvement and continuous learning. And that's what I, I felt like through my whole career, as I, especially now as I look back. That's what I was was going for my whole life is trying to learn something new and and you know improve myself so that I would be better than I was the day before. All right. Well, let's talk about that transition, because all okay. through that time, you were working underneath somebody else. You were an employee. Right. That's and correct. now you paid into a company to be a part owner in the company. Right. And now things get real. Yeah, because you're, you're, the buck stops with you. There, if something goes wrong, there's nobody you can call. That's you right. have to fix it. So talk about that transition. I mean, I'm sure there were some great things. Let's talk about the great things about being an entrepreneur because there's a yeah. lot of great things. Yeah. But also talk about the, that, that, that challenge of knowing that, hey, the buck stops with me and having to problem solve at a level you probably didn't have to, at, you know, working retail. Right. Absolutely. And, and that, that was a big thing. And for me, what I found out when I was, especially when I went into the printing business and, and in the ownership of the, the printing business, I realized that what I really enjoyed doing was was taking people's ideas and turning it into something. And they come into me and they'd say, "Hey, I want to I want to do a, a sign, or I want to do a, a flyer, or I want to do a brochure, or or a booklet, or I even want to do my resume. Can you help me with it?" And I'd be able to take their ideas and translate it into something that would work and figure out how it worked. And I got a great enjoyment out of that. But you're absolutely right. I had a lot of struggles as as um, as an owner of the business because the one thing, the one the place where we opened up the, the business, when we first went in, they said it was fine to be closed on Saturdays and Sundays because that was our normal business. In downtown LA, and this was back in 19, early 1990s, there weren't, people didn't work, people worked in downtown, but Saturdays and Sundays, it was a ghost town. They didn't have, as it is now, now they have a lot of um, lofts and a lot of people live in downtown, but there wasn't anybody down there. There was no business do, being done on Saturdays and Sundays in downtown LA. So there was, if we when we would try opening up on a Saturday at, at the printing place, I'd go down there, spend eight hours down there and do you know less than $3 worth of business. So it was like, we decided, and we had put in our original lease that we wanted to, to, to be closed on Saturday and Sunday. And the mall decided that they thought that we were hurting the mall by, by being open because people would see that we're closed and that didn't look good for the mall. I understand that, but, but it wasn't, it, it was going to cost us a lot of money to stay open on Saturday. And we actually, actually got sued. And that's where as being a, a business owner, I'd never had that happen before. <laughs> Fortunately, we got that dismissed, but it was it was it was a lot of money and a lot of process to go through. So I understand that. Also, another big challenge when owning the business was negotiating leases on on machines. I mean, I had a forty thousand dollar color laser copier that I had to make sure that you know it was the payments were made on it, and we were making the um, and and that uh, we're we're getting the maintenance done and the payments are all all done. And, and those aren't those aren't cheap. And you have to make sure that I had to figure out, well, how much business do I have to do on this machine in order to to make some money? So there were a lot of a lot of business decisions that I hadn't really had to make because, as, as I said, I wasn't an owner before that I realized, you know, was what something I do. It challenged me to to make sure I was 
you know, very well organized and learned how to do a lot of things. I, I got to think that a lot of the things I've, I've accomplished, there's things that I've, I've had failures at first and learned from them. So that's, that's what it's all about with me is, is I've, I've been challenged. I've, I've had, I used to have sleepless nights when I was worried about that lawsuit and how we were going to get through there. I mean, I remember when that was going on, I would wake up in the morning and I would have indents on my palms, my hands, because I'd be clenched, my my hands would be so clenched tight as I was sleeping. And you, there'd be red marks on the inside of my palms because of the stress I had. And also had problems with my my jaws, you know, like like locked jaw type of thing because of the, the stress. So I I know what that feels like. And I and I know now that all I want to do is avoid that type of thing. That 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 is rough, but yeah. uh, obviously it probably made you a better businessman because you went through that. You Absolutely. you basically jumped in the deep end and said, "Swim, find that's a right. way, fill it out." And it sounds like that's what you did. That's so right. when that happened, when you got that lawsuit, did you move locations in L.A. or did actually, you... actually it did as soon as my lease was up, which was a ten year lease, I did move locations and I moved. This was the greatest thing was we moved from being in a retail spot. Because of the digital technology that we and we were starting to, you know, I was I was right on the on the cusp of when it all started. Went from being analog to digital in 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 the printing business. My first copier wasn't digital; it was a regular big Xerox copy machine. But after that, we got started getting digital machines, and then we got them hooked up to the the uh, network and doing more business with emails and and being transfer files and be able to do that type of things like businesses do now. So we were able to move into the 12th floor of an office building now, because I didn't really need to have people walk up to my business in order to give me business. And I had 10 years of establishing clientele. So they already, already, it wasn't like I was hidden, you know, I had the customers, but I would just bring them in. So fortunately I was able to do that. And it was really kind of neat because I was on the 12th floor. I had a nice view out from the, from the window and, and I was, it was a, it was a nice, yeah, it wasn't, it was a 30 story building. So I wouldn't say it's a, a real skyscraper, but it was a good size. Building. So you felt like a baller, right? You're the yeah, top floor of the building looking yeah, out for LA. Yeah, hey, yeah. I made it. Yeah, it was, it was really nice. And, you know, it's, one of the interesting things was, was on September 11th of 2001, I was there. I get, I got there early in the morning and I had a radio on and I heard about, and all I could do was look out the window. <laughs> And think, you know, because I just heard about those planes hitting the high rises in New York City. I thought, wow, this this is what these people were could be looking at, and I could be looking at that, you know. And of course, it kind of makes you kind of think, what's going on here, you know, with all that. So I, I'll never forget that September eleventh in uh, two thousand one. Did they tell you to evacuate since you were in a higher yes, building? They did. They sure did. But earlier, oddly enough, earlier in that day. I guess the event, yeah, because I'd already heard, because I think it was like nine o'clock Eastern, and so it was like six o'clock our time. And I got there, I usually got to work about six, six o'clock in the morning. And I'd taken a job over to the, uh, the what they call the library tower. I don't know what exactly they call it now. It's the tallest, it was the tallest building, uh, 533 West 6th Street. Was but, it, um, is that the U.S. Bank building? U.S. Bank building, that's what they call it now. Yeah. Yeah, but I'd taken a job over there and I had to go up to the one of the uh, 64th floor or something to drop something off. And it was 
I had I had just heard about those planes hitting that other thing, and I went over there and I got in the that was they weren't having any security at that time as far as people getting in the elevators. That's when all this you know tight security started. Well, I got in the elevator, and I knew what had happened, and somebody, a couple other people who were in the elevator didn't, and they were saying, "Oh, it's what a wonderful day it is today." And I thought, uh, "You don't know what happened." There's a, <laughs> I didn't say it, but I thought in my mind, it was just kind of a creepy thing, you know. Yeah. And as soon as that elevator came down, I got out of there. I go, "Boy, I'm kind of glad I'm not in that <laughs> up to that high floor again." But it was a it was a strange it was a strange experience. I, I would imagine. I would yeah. imagine we could probably go down that route, talk about that a little bit more. Oh, but let's, yeah, but yeah, that's not business. Man. Yeah, let's let's get let's uh, transition back out to. You said two thousand five is as when you uh, sold left, the business. Sold the okay. So two thousand five. Did you see the writing on the wall as far as business changing because you were in the printing business? Is that what happened there? Ab- absolutely. You know, it, when I started, I didn't even have a computer in the the, the pip. It was a pit printing franchise. I didn't have a computer in there. Um, and everything was all, you know, analog. Well, we got, we were the first ones to have the full color copier, color laser copier back that time. That was before they had color printers. In fact, they didn't even have color inkjet printers at that time. So I was able to get, I, I really did well in like 1998 before they came out with color laser printers that I had the color laser copier I had and I had it hooked up to my computer that I could actually send files. It wasn't nearly like what it is nowadays, but it was it was better than what we'd ever seen before in the digital. I realized in 2005 that I was going to have to reinvest in a whole lot of new equipment in order to keep up. And the problem also was 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 the, they were selling the same color copiers that I had that were only available to to print shops before where now my customers were able to buy them because mm. I was working with a lot of large um, business. One of my biggest customers was, was uh, a large insurance company in downtown LA. And, um, you know, these companies had, you know, big, they're multi-billion dollar companies, but they didn't have, they, they still came down to me to get their color laser copies. And we used to make color overhead for overhead projectors before people did PowerPoint slides and, stuff like that that they were able to project so we when things changed like that it made a big difference and i realized that i was going to have to come up with some money to, to, to keep up and it was just it was just didn't make sense because i didn't really see if it was good if the way i did change so much in the last those last 10 years i didn't think it was going to stop changing and i thought it's just gonna i'm just going to be deeper and deeper in, in the hole so I did take some losses when I lost it when I left the business because I it, it didn't have the value that it should have had because you know I, I probably stuck it out too long. Mm-hmm. I probably should have left. I probably should have left at two thousand instead of two thousand five. But you know I enjoyed doing it. I enjoyed the work, and I I fortunately had the support of my wife and you know and things like that. So it was that was good, and and also it was because my brother in law was also in the business. It was like I I. Felt like we, you know, keep it going as long as we could, but it just, it just wasn't going to be. Mm. Okay, so let's talk about that pivot. That's two thousand five. Yep. Where are we going from there? Well, there I decided. I thought, well, I, I knew I wanted to do something different, but I knew my skills were in in the printing industry, and I found a, a job with a company that was a real estate company that had their own in-house printing. 
And they did all their business cards and their flyers and their mailers and the, all that stuff, mailing services and all, right? They had their own in-house ser services. And they were looking for somebody to run their print shop. I thought, well, that works out well. That's what I can do. I wasn't going to be the owner, but and I was going to be an employee again. But, you know, I, it was something I knew I could do and I could, could handle and I could, you know, go in and take care of it. The only problem with that, and I was, it was in Yorba Linda, California. And it was almost into, almost into Corona, California. It was way out on the 91, just before you cross into Riverside County. But, so it was about a 45 mile drive each day. Well, I did that for about a, about a year, a little over a year. Also, that at that time, it was got to be where the real estate market started to fall, and they decided they were going to close down their print shop and just do outsource it. It was going to be cheaper for them to, to have somebody else do it. They were originally going to lay me off, and then they realized that I could be valuable because they could do still do stuff in-house since they already still had the equipment. So they kept me on, but I knew that wasn't going to last very long. So, so I did that until I was, I, I was, was there for about a little over a year. So it wasn't like anything I could really, really make a career out of. In fact, my wife and I were almost going to move out there when it when I first got there because to reduce the, the commute. But I'm glad we didn't because it didn't last. I ended up working for another company that did pretty much the same thing, but they were actually in Palos Verdes, which is a lot closer. But that company, the guy didn't really have, the guy who owned it didn't really have a very good plan of how that was going to work. And that didn't, the company folded like after three months. So I said, well, that's, that's not working. So I got a job with a, another printing company that does, um, they, it's all they do is printing. I was in the customer service department, but I was also, basically the one that set all the prices. I did, I was, they were a pretty much a startup online printing company, but most of the people they hired were people that were really um, social media savvy and not as printing savvy. So I was one of the first people they hired that wasn't a press person that knew something about the printing business. Mm -hmm. So I had a lot of different duties with that company, but it, it worked out pretty well. I was there for about six years. That was a company called Next Day Flyers. It was right, and it was real close, not far from home, but some Rancho Dominguez, so it was close to home. So that was that was convenient like that. So did all that. Finally, I got to the point where I realized that this wasn't really going to be a, a career for me, just working for somebody else. And I figured from all the experience that I'd had, both in the candy business, the restaurant business, the retail business with the sharper image, and the printing business, I could probably do some help other businesses to find out what they're how they can get um, better company culture like what you talk about same type of thing what they can do to to make their things more effective how they can align their people so that they they all do the right do the same thing and are on the same on the same page it always bothered me when i think about how businesses operate differently maybe when the boss is there and when the boss isn't there and it wasn't as much something I'd say, well, that's because they've got bad employees. I knew it was because the management didn't do their job properly. It used to always bother me when, when I, back when I was in fast food and they would say, oh, the, um, 
district, the district manager's coming to visit today, so now we have to clean the store up real close, real tight, and everything's got to be perfect. I think, well, if that's what he's seeing, shouldn't that be what we do all the time? If that's what we want, shouldn't that be all the time? But no, they, they would let things slide. And the same thing with, with the sharper image. They did the same things when the when the big boss came. They had to do all the cleaning. I thought that was such a, a poor way of doing business. I said, there's got to be a better way. You've got to be able to work with the, the managers. You've got to inspire the people to work to the levels that you require, not only for them to visit, but for all the time. Because if that's the way it's supposed to be, then, then you don't, you don't relax the things when the boss isn't looking, you know. Let me let me chime in on there because I, I love that topic and I love what you're saying and I and I agree with what you're saying, right? I mean, we should be right. doing the best we can all the time, regardless if the manager is there or not there. And I and I I've been in situations like that in the baking industry and fast food and all this other stuff like you, where I I had similar situations about that. But I also, um have empathy for that too, a little bit. Um, you just sometimes when you're in that situation, depending on, and, and, and it goes back to what you're talking about with work, work culture, right? right? So you could have a manager who, you know, is real micromanaging you and you, you, you're, you're in a situation where it's like, Oh, they're coming to visit. Oh, we got to do, you know, this and that. And maybe you don't even have to do that, but because this person's coming in, you 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 have to do all that stuff because of the fact that that manager might not be uh, very, I, I, I guess, lack of a better term, warm and fuzzy. So, yeah. so the, the, there's a lot of pressure on middle management, you know, to do X, Y, and Z. So I, I understand that a little bit. I have empathy for, for that, but I also understand your point more that yeah like if we're gonna if we're paid to do a job let's do it right all the time not just when the other person's there i just have a little bit of empathy for that manager because i've been in situations that because believe me i in all my businesses and all i've done i've always done 110 yeah and and but then there you have this other manager coming in and it might not even be like uh cleaning something up but they may, I, I may manage a different way and, and he manages, he or she manages this way and it, it doesn't affect the business one way or another. It just, I just right. known to, to manage this way. Right. And this other manager doesn't like that. They, they only want you to manage this way. So in those situations, well, we got to turn things around to manage it the way that person does because they're visiting the, the shop, right. you know, and they're not giving that the other person the reins to, right. Hey, look it. If you're not breaking any rules and you're and you're doing the job the right way, manage how you want to manage. Uh, some some managers yeah. aren't that way, and I know that you know that's probably in your teachings of, of of that letting go of the reins and letting letting your your employees and let your middle management do their job without you on their throats. Because when you build trust, that's when things grow. So yeah, I you know, I wanted to touch in a little bit about that because that 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 does happen quite a bit. I'm sure you've seen it more than yeah, I. Yeah, ab absolutely. And and I think a lot of that goes back to why you know the whole thing with alignment. You have to be in line. You know, if 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 a customer calls on the phone and they're upset with something, and you've just had a few customers before that that you know that you're not happy that that have gotten that you know been upset with you, and and then you treat this next customer based on what you've had on the previous call or whatever, you know, that's that's not right. You've got to be able to 
understand how the business, what the business is all about, and understand. And I think that's a lot with with what the leaders of the of the of the um, need to do. That's why the people I like to work with are. are I think that a lot of the fault lies in the in the middle management people, and the also it does lead in the in the upper management people, the people who expect something that that maybe is not realistic because every time they go there they expect the place to be spotless and then they go there one time and it's not and they you know, they say hey what's going on you know it's not supposed to be like that they you know drop in unexpectedly you know so it's it's a it's a difficult situation but it's something that that we have it, just because it's difficult doesn't mean we we shouldn't aim for that and make sure that we try to make sure that that we're in alignment with what the company wants knowing what the what the company is all about is is very important for the for the individual employee so that they can see do their job properly and knowing what the vision is for the company what is what's the company trying to accomplish what's their what's their purpose what are they here for and then they can they can think like the owner you want them to think like like they've got responsibility for it even though they they don't like we, we were just saying about the buck stops here you know they've got you kind of want them to think that they're the buck stops with them you know that they that they're going to be held accountable for what what happens. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think there there needs to be a clear mission statement from yeah. the top down. I I really feel though, in my opinion, I feel like it starts with the top. That the top sets the tone for the middle yeah. management. Yeah. The top hires the middle management who hires the employees. So so there's a lot of of, of pressure on the top to do it the right way. And and one of the things uh, that when you were talking. I thought about is a lot, a lot of times some of these, these uh, top executives haven't done the ground level and yeah. you're talking 10, 15, 20, maybe 30 years. They have not been yeah. at that ground level, right? They, they've moved their way up. They worked hard. They got to where they're at, which is great. Beautiful yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. But unfortunately, as you talked about with the printing business and, and any other business, the time changes and the yeah. way they did things on the ground level is probably much different than the people at the ground level do now. Yeah. So there, there's sometimes there's a sense of being out of touch with what, what the, what the ground level is doing because they haven't been doing it in a while. Yeah. So one of the things that I'm sure you have, you tell them to do is, is, is to spend time at that level, see what their challenges, interview those people and go, what is working well and what's not that way you can implement different procedures to help them to be more efficient. Because if you st stand up off that tower and you never go down the ground level and you're just going by word of mouth, you're going by word of mouth. And, and, and you, I know that all, you can't do that every single day. I, I'm sure yeah, very, yeah, right. very busy, but you got to spend time with that ground level just a little bit so that you can see with your own eyes. And it's not just words coming down because unfortunately there's times where you're going to get a message from middle management saying what you want to hear. And it might be okay for the moment, but it's not what's really going on. You really got to know what really is going on. If, if you're just hearing what you want to hear, then there could be some real struggles with the ground level that you don't know about right. that could really hurt your business. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I, I just watched an um, episode of Undercover Boss. And what we're talking about is very, you know, is, is that that's what hits. And I, and I like watching that because I think, how is this guy who's the, the owner of the company who doesn't even have a clue of what what they're doing on the on the face to face level with the customers? 
they they're looking at spreadsheets all day and talking to their their management people and all that and they don't always know and that's it's something that you can't always expect them to because i wouldn't expect them to, to actually know how to do it but they've got to be able to try to understand what what goes on in those levels one of the things that that um one of the processes i've learned in, in, in coaching is what they call the cash box it's about um knowledge attitude skills and habits and it, it, that whole idea that that knowledge and skills that's what you have on your resume you put your where you went to school and you what you accomplished in your business but your attitudes and habits aren't on the resume and not most of the time when 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 i've gone to job interviews or job even when i did job interviews before i knew much about this i was more interested in what they're oh you went to school there you and this is what you you accomplished this and that but their attitudes and habits are what's most important and and more people where people are all usually hired based on their their skills and their um knowledge but they leave their jobs or are asked to leave their jobs or fired in other words based on their attitudes and habits because they don't they haven't established that and that's what we can work on that's not it's a lot you know it's a lot easier to get knowledge you know learn a skill and or to have knowledge about a job than it is to to have the, the correct attitude and 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 habits that work well you know whether it's coming to work on time or or you know goofing around at work or whatever they do you know those are the the habits that are reflective of their attitude about the job so that's the kind of thing we work you know i really stress and think a lot about now is is what is what's the person's what are their habits what are their attitudes what are how what how do they how do they react when you ask them to do something do they get defensive or do they answer will they answer a question or do they, do they be evasive or whatever you know what is their attitude about things and that's how you can learn what you know what type of people you have and but, but these are these are ideals and they're not always going to be reached and i understand that you know you but it's something to to just because they're not always reached doesn't mean you don't you don't go for it. I agree with that. Yeah. So what who is your ideal client then? I like my ideal client is a business that's been in business for at least three to five years and has at least five to ten employees at the very minimum. The reason for the the time is I want them to have had some failures. I want them to have had, had some struggles already. A brand new person with, you know, with a with a load of money or a big loan from the bank and starting a business, they're not going to really understand some of the challenges that they, you know, because they haven't gone through enough problems yet. So I like to have someone who's had some failures. In fact, one of the first things I ask people is, is tell me about your, your biggest failure and, and tell me what you learned from it, because I want to make sure that they they. First of all, they've got to admit that they've had a failure. If they they say, "Oh, I've never failed," or "I, nah, you know, I, I can't think of them. I didn't, you know, didn't really do anything too bad." Well, you know what? That tells me more than <laughs> than what they could probably say in words. It tells me what by not saying, I know that they really aren't really ready to 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 learn from their mistakes. Because the first thing you've got to do is acknowledge your failures and your mistakes. You should be able to. You should be able to to, to those should pop out in your mind. As fast, if 
faster than your successes. However, people, it's just yeah, naturally, people think about their successes rather than their failures first. What if you had a business that says, hey, look, at we're new, but I want to yeah. hire you because I don't want to make those mistakes because you you, you understand. So will you, would you hire something I, like I that? Can't, I can't stop somebody from making mistakes. In fact, I, I, I wouldn't want to stop somebody from making a mistake. I learned what I learned before making mistakes. And I think that's what they need to do. They have to be able to make mistakes and they have to be able to learn from them. I, I don't like the idea of, of mitigating damages for mistakes to the point where they're never, the thing hasn't changed. Let's say you're working on, uh, you've got a process at work where you're entering a new customer in and there's, you're having problems with it, the way it's, um, the information you're getting and, and loading it into the computer. And you just have little shortcuts or workarounds instead of actually solving the problem. Well, that is a, that is a problem in itself. You've got to address a thing and say, this is a problem. If you, if it's a, if you have to do a report and say, Hey, here's the problem. Here's what it's costing, costing us. Here's what the results of that problem are. So we have to know what's, what's going on so that we can actually make a, come up with a solution, not a, a short time remedy, a real solution and whatever it takes, that's what you have to do. You have to be able to do that in order to be, you know, to be, to succeed with it. Otherwise you're going to be fighting stuff. It's like, if, you know, you're, it's like this thing with my computer with not being able to get my microphone on, you know, I know there's a problem. So I'm going to have to solve that because working around it doesn't work. And it was, it, it wasn't, it was inconvenient because it costs us time in our, in our talk today. So and whatever it is, whatever thing goes wrong, you have to figure out what it is and why, why that's happening rather than just try to, make it uh, work around and say, oh, well, here's a way you can work around it. Here's eight steps you do. And, and it, it covers that, you know? Okay. Well, I want to ask you this question. I don't mean to put you on the hot spot, but I, I nope. want to ask you this question because it, 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 the thought came into my head when you were talking here. So you you talk about your, your ideal client, three to five, who's yeah. been in business a little bit, who's yeah. gone through some failures, learn, yeah. willing to learn. Yeah. And we're, you know, okay. And you're having a, you know, an interview process with this ideal client. Right, right. What values can you add to these to, to this business that's three to five years old that's that's failed and and now now knows what to well, do going forward? Well, my real thing, my process that I that I work with my clients, it's called a mutual evaluation. I'm evaluating them and they're evaluating me at the same time. So what I try to do is I try to find out what their struggles are if what they're you know is are they having a problem with with employee turnover are they having a problem with um employees not even you know coming you know always late to work or whatever or if they're having a problem with with um getting things done on time goal setting are they are they are they are they setting goals and not achieving them are they not planning to do are they getting things done what are their what are they trying to achieve? What are their goals? And how are they doing on achieving them? That's what I, I, I try to find out. I My big thing is, and, and you know this as a coach as well, it's I'm not I'm not an advisor. I'm a listener and a, a, and almost like a, a, a bound a, 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 a mirror of a, a, a bounding board or whatever you say it's, it's to bounce off ideas to bounce off. 
so that they can see what what they have. And sometimes when they ask that, when you ask questions, you get them to just thinking about it a little bit more than they might have before. You know, it's like if I ask a question, why are you here today? What exactly brought you here where today? And why are you why are you here today versus being being at the beach? It's a nice day. What what reason are you here? Why do you want to be here? Mm. People don't even think about that, but you know, you've got to stop and think, well, I I want to do this job. I want to get this done. I want to, you know, I want to do what I want to do. What's so a lot of questions you can ask that open up their minds with what they want. And then you can say, well, is that what you're achieving? And maybe we can work on, on getting that done. Yeah. I mean, with business, you know, a lot of times it's, it's, it's a goal, right? They're, right. we're result based, right? We're right. cutthroat, unfortunately. So um, with your experience in, in being in the retail space and owning your own printing company, yeah. you almost can I mean I know that you, you're more in the coaching space, but you almost can get and you do put it on your on your thing that says consulting. You right. almost couldn't be more of a consultant because, like for me, like in business, in three to five years, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I I like the aspect of, of the coaching because I, I yeah. think what you're saying is is correct. You know, bring it out of them because a lot of the answers they have are inside, and you're 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 probing them with questions they weren't thinking about blind spots that you're you're showing that 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 are there that they didn't know about and i think that's great with the business coaching but on the other hand um in the consulting world because there will probably be times where you with all the experience that you had and things you probably have gone through some of those struggles that they're going through right now and i get that you know with the lawsuits and everything like that and and, and saying something of the matter like Hey, look it. I went through that ten years ago. This is what I did to get through it. I mean, are, yeah. are you offer that to them as well? Yeah, but I I try not to in a sense because I like to to say what would you do in this situation? How would you have handled it? Because I want them. I want. I I really don't want to make it. I'm kind of the person that I don't want to make it about me because it's all about the client in my mind, and I'm just kind of the the sounding board or the, the the person that they can talk to about it. I I kind of hate giving advice. Um I basically think I'm the, you know, I'm I don't I don't know all about their business and all the all the details. They know more about their business than I do. But I can help them to 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 look and find solutions rather than giving them the solutions. I, because when you find a solution yourself, it means a whole lot more. I, I like to think of the example. I used to watch these TV shows where they do makeovers on restaurants. This guy would go in and, and he'd and say, well, your sales are down. So let me look at your menu. Oh, you've got too many items on your menu. Let's cut your menu down to half the number of items. And, and you'll do more business because you'll be able to sell fresher food and all that stuff. And, and hey, you need to, to put more seats in here. or You need less seats in here or whatever it is. This is, and the guy would say, you know, business owner would say, yeah, yeah, let's do that. And as long as the guy was in there doing all that stuff, it was working fine. It looked great. After the guy who helped him move, uh, change over the whole place left, they didn't really realize because they hadn't made those decisions themselves. They didn't realize the value of what he was doing. And they thought, well, you know what? I think I want to go back to the way we had it before. So they start adding items to the menu and they start putting more chairs in the, you know, making the place more crowded. They can 
And then, so what's, what's, what's the result? Nothing. At the, at the end of the day, they paid a consultant to come in and tell them what to do, but they didn't, um, they didn't see the value in it. It's got to be a decision made by the client themselves. All the decisions. My, what I, the decisions I made were my decisions. I hate to say that I don't like to be told to do how to do something, but, but I really don't like to be told. I'd rather try it myself and fail than be told how to do something. And that way I know that I can learn from it because I can't learn from, I can't, it's not as easy to learn from other people's mistakes. And I don't always, you know, share my mistakes with them in that re for that reason, because I don't expect them to learn from them. But I do want them to, to, to be able to admit that they made mistakes. And because that's the only way that you're going to overcome them. Fair enough. Fair enough. I understand where you're coming from there. So if a uh, business owner wants to work with you, how would they do that? Well, they contact me. We, I, 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 I love to, to meet them. Ask, I, I got a set of questions. I ask them about what they're, what they want, what they need looking to do. And, and I open them up to ask any questions about, about me, if they want to know, you know, what type of person I am, or check any references or anything like that about me, because, you know, it's, it's, it could be, you know, there could be a change in their business and they want to make sure if they make a change, it's not just any change, it's a change for the good. I also have a, a real strong feeling about uh, return on investment. It was always in business, always important to me when I owned my printing business, that if I was going to invest $40,000 in a color copier, I wanted to make sure I was going to make double, triple that, you know, easily, anytime or whatever, you know, if it went broke down by the monthly payments or whatever. I don't, I want to make sure that I I can help someone if, if they want to pay me, that I can help them really make more money than what they, you know, to well make over what they're paying me to, to be a good return on investment on working with me. So I kind of will make them say, well, this is what we're going to do as far as I need to know what your goals are, what you want to achieve. And if I feel that I can help them achieve that, I'll take it on and I'll say, this is what, this is what it'll cost you based on what you want to make in the, in the difference. You know, if you want to increase your business by $100,000 in a year, and I just want 20%, so you're still going to be up eighty thousand dollars than what you'd be without me. You know that would be that would be seem like a pretty good deal. You know, so but I have to make sure that you know that that I understand and I I have to make sure I'm taking I I can do what I I say I'm going to do. So it's all about getting that that return on investment for the people so that they get exactly what they want. All right. Well, let's. Let's just bring this back to Long Beach. Okay. Oh yeah. Let's question, go with a fun little question here. All right. When you're in when you're in town, where do you like to eat? I like to, you know what? My wife and I are kind of odd like this. We don't eat at one restaurant all the time. We'd like to try different ones, try different experiences. And one of the best places I think in Long Beach, and most people will agree with this. In fact, I think I've heard some of your other guests talk about it, is Belmont Shores. Because you can find any kind of food, and and all kinds of different atmospheres in Belmont Shores, and we've eaten a bunch of the different restaurants. Being a, a walker, like my wife and I both enjoy walking. I I walk probably I'm almost probably a fanatic, but uh, <laughs> we walk a lot too, and and we walk through 
Belmont Shore and we walk over to Naples and through the canal by the canals and up and down the stairs and all that. So we love Naples and Belmont Shore. There's a there's places like that that new LBX. We've tried that. Some neat restaurants around there. Some, you know, great little places that we try. And every once in a while we'll go we'll go back to something, but most of the time we just like exploring exploring new restaurants. And there's a lot of them in a couple little pockets in 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 um in Long Beach. I love to I love to walk along the bluffs there on Ocean Boulevard between Livingston and and in fact I, I walked from um the Belmont Pier all the way back to um Shoreline Village and back, which is a pretty good little hike. But I go up on the high level and then come back along the beach. Love just so much it's it's so much energy of, of Long Beach. You see the people that are that are into fitness and enjoying themselves and 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 you don't have to worry about stop signs or traffic or anything like that. It's a great, great place to be. Yeah, I think I think that's probably an eight mile uh uh walk, right? To the yeah. and back or to yeah. shoreline and back. We're probably four yeah. miles there, four miles back, or pretty close yeah. to. Yeah, I think it is. I I just as a, a point of reference, I average a little over nine miles a day. Mm. My goal this year is seven miles a day. And I'm you already passed it. I'm at nine miles. I do nine miles a day. So I'm almost, I, I'm a real meticulous uh, record keeper too. I guess I didn't tell you that. I'm, I'm, I'm real big with Excel, Excel spreadsheets. I started losing weight in 2015. I started keeping track of my weight November 1st, 2015, when I weighed 261 pounds. And I kept track of it as I lost weight and a number of steps I took and then how, much, how many miles I walked and how much sleep I get. Through that whole time, I have those. I've got, and I'm continuous to do that now. So I know that what my I set goals for myself and and go to achieve them because I think that's what that's what I want to. I've got to be an example of what I want to work with people. So that's what I do. That's one of my ways I do that. I love that. Very very inspiring. How much weight have you lost from 2015 to now? I, I'm I'm right around 212 right now. I was at I, the most I ever weighed was about 278. But when wow. I started losing weight, I was at 261. Fortunately, I'm six foot four, so yeah. I wasn't. I mean, it wasn't too bad, but still, that's. Uh, I did. I did most of it. I I went pretty rapid weight loss because I I knew I just wanted to get. I wanted to get through it. I found out after I lost the weight that that keeping it off is is as big a challenge as losing it. But I've actually been able to do that. I've been able, I've kept it off now for almost. Seven years. Wow. So congratulations. It looks yeah. like you lost a sixth grader. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. I did. I lost, yeah, about 60 pounds is what what I'm down altogether. So that's that's not it's a it's pretty nice. That's tremendous. Brad, it's been a pleasure talking with you. I, we could probably talk three hours yeah, about this. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you light me up with the, some of the stuff you said. I wanted to chime in. Uh, I love where you're taking your, your business. Uh, you know, we, we, uh, connected through the, uh, Signal Hill Chamber of Commerce, which is right in dab in the middle of Long Beach. Right. So, uh, I continue our friendship, my friend. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, oh yeah. And I love your, I, I love your podcast. I, that's one of the things I do when I walk is I can listen to the podcast and, and it keeps my mind going and, um, and I'm exercising. Well, I mean, what more could you want? You've got your mind and your, your body working at the same time. Hey, you know, that's good use of time. 
That's right. What more can you need? Yeah. Till next time, it's a Long Beach thing. Thank you for tuning into It's a Long Beach Thing. Please tune in next time for another great episode. Thank you and have a good rest of your day.